done right. Steve Robeson, our drummer, promised that he would be good today, so we let him out of the cage. <laughs> He'll probably be back in next week. He can only be good for so long. I have known a lot of people in my lifetime. I'm 46 years old. Some of you have been uh, around longer than me. Some of you maybe not as long. And, but if you stop and think of the list of people that you know, it's probably quite long. I've lived in seven different cities. I've attended seven, been member at seven different churches, five of which I was on the pastoral uh, staff with. I've known thousands of people, my wife even more, teaching school for over 20 years. She has 25 to 30 students every year, and their parents that change over every year, and she can't go anywhere. Even to this day, if we go back to Fort Wayne and we go to uh, the shopping mall, she will run into a former student or parent, and my kids always go, you can't go anywhere, but someone doesn't bump into you and that you know. Many of them have impacted my life in many different ways. That we can't come in contact with with a person and really get to know them and not be impacted by them. Now, there is no way that I really knew all of these people or even know all of these people. Even now in a church this size with 11, 1,200 people every Sunday, probably 16 to 1,700 people Uh, that would claim this as their church on a regular basis. We'll go to Walmart or we'll go at the mall or something and someone will say hi and I'll say hi back and and I'm going to be right up front honest with you. There are times my daughter looks at me and goes, you have no idea, do you? I said, not at all. They go to the church. I recognize the face. I've seen them on Sunday morning. But it's just impossible to know that many people intimately, to know them more than just mere acquaintance. But a few stand out. Some of them over the years, just knowing them made the difference. Joe Harris, my dad, when I was nine, a co-worker of his, took he and I to dinner and I was able to shake hands with Howard Cosell. I also met Lamar Hunt. At nine years old, I didn't have a clue who Lamar Hunt was. I knew he was involved in the Kansas City Chiefs, but I didn't know what role he played in the history of the NFL until uh, much later in life. But I was able to stand. I was the only kid in the place. Knowing my dad made all the difference because he knew the guy that got us into the door. When I was 12, another co-worker of my dad's took us to a Kansas City Royals baseball game. And he introduced me, took me down to the visitor's dugout. They were playing the Yankees that day. Hate the Yankees. Every good, warm-blooded Kansas City Royals fan hates the Yankees. Took me down and and told the guy to go get Jim Catfish Hunter. Some of you know Jim Catfish Hunter, Hall of Fame pitcher for the A's. I like to refer to him as the A's. He also pitched for the Yankees, but I don't like to remember that. But that was the day he came out of the dugout as my dad and I are standing down there with this co-worker of his. And Jim Catfish Hunter walks out of the dugout, shakes my hand, and hands me this baseball. 
to Ted, best wishes, Jim Catfish Hunter. And then I noticed underneath it, Lou Pinella. That's just a little bonus thrown in. Now, a lot of you know Lou Pinella. I've heard of Lou Pinella. Uh, just recently retired as the manager of the Chicago Cubs. No other kid that day got an autograph from Jim Catfish Hunter, much less a handshake and an introduction. Knowing my dad made all the difference. Brian Veter, good friend of mine, volunteer youth worker, head engineer for the ABC affiliate in Indianapolis, asked me one day in May. Now, a lot of people around here, May holds no significance to you. But the month of May in Indianapolis is what? Indy 500. It's the entire month of May. We think it's just one day, but it is the entire month of May. And his month of May is crazy because he spends his entire day, almost every day, out at the track, making sure that cameras are working and and the sound and the audio, everything is set up. The wires are run. He's personally ran all of the wires for ABC through that entire uh, raceway. He asked me one day, do you want to go out to the racetrack with me? And watch a practice day. I said, well, sure. So I went out thinking, well, we're going to go and we're going to sit in the stands. No. I went down and stood on the yard of bricks. We toured pit row. We, we got back into the garages. I actually got to watch for probably 15, 20 minutes from the top of the pagoda. You can see the entire two and a half mile circle from the top of the pagoda. You can watch a car go all the way around. Knowing Brian Veter made a difference. I could have gone to practice day and sat in the stands, but knowing Brian made a difference. Lloyd Patterson. He was an elder in the church that I was serving at at the time. He was head of production for Best Lock. Any of you work in a corporate building, look at your keys. They probably say best on them. Lloyd Patterson made those keys, or at least he oversaw the production of those keys. He invited my family to numerous events at Conseco Fieldhouse, uh, where the, Indianapolis, or the Indiana Pacers play, uh, the Indiana Fever, WNBA team, several events going on there all the time, and Best, had, Best Access had a suite there, and Lloyd was in charge of that suite, and he would many times invite my family and I to come down to an event. And so we were able to watch a Pacers game in luxury. We didn't have to mess with the riffraff, with the commoners who sat down below us. We watched IU basketball. Sarah and I could have gone to the Neil Diamond concert by ourselves, but Lloyd Patterson made all the difference. Yes, we attended the Neil Diamond concert concert. Lloyd called us up, promised he'd take us out to dinner if we went with him. It was he and his wife, me and my wife. We were the only four in the suite. Nobody else wanted to go. It was a fun evening. I've never seen a mosh pit with gray hair before. (laughs) Knowing Lloyd made all the difference. Think of the number of people you have known in your lifetime. How many of them have just knowing them made a difference? Some in fun ways, like I've kind of had fun a little bit with it, but some in spiritual ways. Some challenge us to grow personally, and just knowing them makes all of the difference in the way we live our life right now. 
But how many have you really known? How many have really made a difference? I want to introduce you to someone this morning. Most of you have at least heard about him. You've read about him. You've heard other people talk about him. You may have even talked about him yourself. Some of you uh, may even personally, intimately know him. He's the third person of the Trinity. God the Holy Spirit. A lot of people today would claim to know God. Some have have given their lives to knowing Jesus, but the, the Holy Spirit for many is just an acquaintance. We don't really know him. We're we're so focused on God and Jesus, on on, on the creator and our savior, that that we kind of just kind of slide past the Holy Spirit. I think we only hurt ourselves when we do that. Because the Holy Spirit makes all the difference. Today, I'm not about to show you everything there is to know about the person of the Holy Spirit. That would be impossible. At best, I've taken the the, the subject, the topic of the person of the Holy Spirit, and in the the process of developing a 10-week series that we're going to do on Sunday night starting in February. So today, I just want to kind of paint you a big picture of this person. This person that makes all the difference in the world. The person that if you come, become intimately involved with and allow him to become intimately involved with you will change your life. It will change the way you get up in the morning. He will change the way that you uh, interact with other people. The, he will change the way you go to work. He will change the way you think about things. He will make all the difference. How well do you know him? You can go through life and experience a lot of things. But to experience them with the Holy Spirit makes all the difference. We're going to look at John chapter 14. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn there. John chapter 14, and we'll be in chapter 16, so be ready to turn a page or two. Jesus understood that he was coming to the end of his life. He understood that his earthly ministry was almost ready to come to an end. And he was going to meet with his disciples one last time. And Jesus meets with them in the upper room. And we we understand this story as we not look at Christmas, but as we look at Easter that Jesus was preparing and and prepared that last supper, what we celebrate communion as, that he prepared it in the upper room. And I guess I had never really given it much thought, but they didn't just meet for supper and leave. Jesus understood this was the last time after three and a half years he was going to be able to impact personally, face-to-face, these 12 men. And I can't imagine but what he said was vastly important. That, that he knew that, that after three years of preparing them for this day, the day that he was about to leave, preparing them to carry on the purpose of God without him, I'm thinking that the words he said in that little room was not filled with picture stories and parables, but he cut to the chase. He said, you know what, guys? It's this right here. You've got to listen to this. This is the last thing I'm going to tell you. 
It's going to make all the difference in your life. Guys, I'm leaving you, and this is what you need to know. If you're going to survive in this world, if you're, go- if you're to have any hope in the world to come, listen up. In those moments, he revealed to them what was going to happen and, and what they would need for life. There was an urgency in his words, an urgency for them to listen, and that same urgency is for us to pay attention. Don't let this slide by. Don't let this just be another day, another sermon, another lesson, just another verse in the Bible. These were Jesus' last words. Terrible things, he said, are going to happen to him. And you must be prepared for your life to be lived in opposition to the world. He said, because terrible things are going to happen to me, don't expect terrible things not to happen to you. Because we are setting ourselves up against the world. We're setting ourselves up against the philosophies, against the teachings, against the ways of thinking the way the world thinks. He said, expect trouble to come. Be ready for it. Be prepared for it. He said, the world hated me. It will hate you as well. If you follow through and live the way that I showed you to live, you will be in direct opposition to the world on almost every front. Everything you do will not make sense to the world. And while in that upper room that Thursday night, he said things like, I tell you this so you won't go astray. You see, he knew that there was danger that when he left and opposition came, they would fall away. How many of you have known people that have suffered like that? That when opposition came, when the heat got turned up a little bit on their spiritual life, on their faith, they just simply bowed out. They were unprepared. How many of you have ever done that? That when the heat gets turned up, you tend to revert back to old ways rather than God ways. He said, don't be upset. Don't let your hearts be troubled over what's about to happen. What I'm telling you comes straight from God the Father. I tell you the truth. If you have not listened or forgotten everything else I told you, listen to this. He said, don't forget this. In John chapter 14, in that upper room with 12 disciples, he says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Over in verse 15, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor. To be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live on that day. You will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. 
Verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Turn over to chapter 16, verse 5. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. So what do we take from these urgent final words of Jesus? What is it that he wanted those 12 men to understand as their life was about to be turned upside down? Jesus said the Holy Spirit, guys, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes all the difference. I am going to leave. I am going away. In a little bit you will see me no more, but I will send him and he will make all the difference in your life. It is better that I go and send him than that I stay. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if Jesus were here, that it would be better for him not to be here? The disciples kind of wondered about that too. What does he mean? For three and a half years, it's just been phenomenal to see the things that he did, to, to watch him, to learn from him, to be able to talk to him. And now he says he's leaving, but don't be troubled by it. Something better's coming. The thing we have to understand is that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. There's a lot of misconceptions about the Holy Spirit that he's, that he's a ghost. One, because that's the way we translated it for years, the Holy Ghost. That he's a spook, that he's just something else, that, he, that he's not real. That he's just kind of out there, he's just entities, this this cerebral thing. No, he is a person. He's not an it, not a thing. He's a living person. He's not flesh and blood like Jesus was, but he is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is closely associated with the other two throughout scriptures. Throughout scriptures, we read of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That they are one and the same, that they are that they are together, that they are part of let us make man in our image. The Holy Spirit was part of that. That he was the one that inspired and carried along the writers of Scripture. That that all that all Scripture is God breathed, that it was the Holy Spirit that 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 revealed Scripture to them, that that led them in what to write down, that made sure that oversaw, that superintended the writing of Scripture so that there would be no error, so that it would be the truth of God. 
the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a personality. He can be grieved. We're warned in Scripture not to grieve the Holy Spirit, which implies that He can be loved and that He loves us because without love there is no grief. I don't grieve over someone that I didn't love or that I didn't know. I don't grieve over the loss of something that I did not love. It implies that there is love in that relationship. That there is a personableness. He can be rebelled against and we're warned not to rebel against him. He can be loved. He can be followed. He must be listened to. He must be obeyed. We are told here that the world could not accept him. That the world did not know him. That it couldn't accept him because it couldn't see him. But you can see him. That whole idea of accepting is to take, is to take with the hand, to lay hold of any person or thing in order to use it. To take up a thing to be carried, to take upon oneself, to take in order to carry away. That the world cannot understand taking on the Holy Spirit. Can't accept that, can't grasp the idea that there is a Holy Spirit. Can't accept the idea that God in spirit form could possibly live Not just among us, but in us, in me. The world could not accept it, could not grasp it, could not take hold of it. The world doesn't have the ability, is not able, doesn't have the power uh, within itself to understand. But you do. If the Spirit lives within you, you have the ability to understand. Not just understand who the Spirit is, but to understand God. To understand and know God personally. To understand His thoughts because who knows the thoughts of a man but the Spirit within him and who knows the thoughts of God but the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit lives within him, then you can understand, you can think the way God thinks. The Holy Spirit is a divine person and He makes all the difference. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit is essential to the Christian life. I I think Jesus was saying that throughout that upper room. Guys, the the counselor is coming, and he's essential. You have to, to have a relationship with him. You have to understand him. You have to understand how he works. He calls him the counselor means the summoned one, the one that's called alongside, called to, to one's aid. He's one who pleads another's cause before a judge. The Holy Spirit is going to come and live among us and be our lifeline, be our connection to God the judge. That He is going to come and, and represent us before God. He's going to know us intimately. He's going to help us. He's going to be our assistance. He's going to be our help in time of need. He's going to be, to, to be the one that, that carries us along. That we have to understand that the Holy Spirit is the successor of Christ. Not the replacement necessarily, but He's the one that comes after and more important to our daily living than Christ could continue to be. That's what Jesus said. He said, guys, I've got to go away so that he comes because what he's going to do in you is so much better than what I could do outside of you. And we spend so much of our time and energy focusing upon God and Jesus and what Jesus wants us to do that we forget the power for us to do it is with inside us in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Do you want to understand Scripture? We've got to get in touch with the Holy Spirit. We've got to understand the Holy Spirit. We have to become intimate with the Holy Spirit. He's the author, the writer, the inspirer of Scripture. We can't learn anything useful about God. Maybe facts, but not things that will transform our life. We will not be transformed through information that will translate into a changed life. It has to come from the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to change us, as we just sang, from the inside out. That the change is going to occur on the inside before we ever see action change. That the Holy Spirit is going to take the facts, take the knowledge, take the truth, and He's going to begin to change the heart, to change the mind, the way we think, change our attitude, and then out of that, the actions change. We want to change the action without changing the heart, without changing the attitude. The Holy Spirit has to come and dwell within us. It's essential for the Christian life. And it makes sense that we should strive to know the Holy Spirit. That we work as hard knowing Him as we do to know God the Father and God the Son. For it's the Holy Spirit that is at work reconstructing us from the inside out. And, and He will be with us. Do you understand that? that? That it is the Holy Spirit that is at work within us. That any change that we're to make in our life will come as a result of the Spirit at work in me. It's not my will. I can't just choose to change. My choices have gotten me in the mess that I'm in. I have to have some other power within me. The Holy Spirit, God himself. And the Holy Spirit is all about changing us. Is all about reconstructing our lives. He even gives us superhuman powers. Think about a superhero. Have you ever been asked, you know, if you could have a superhero power, what would it be? I'd love to be invisible. I don't know if it's because I'm up front on, everyone sees me all the time. I would love to just be invisible. Some people would like to fly. Some would like superhuman strength. I talked to one little kid, fifth grader, I believe. He said, I would like to have the power of mind control. Okay, that worried me just a little. 11-year-old wants the power of mind control. But the Holy Spirit, one of the incredible things that he does is when he comes into our life, when he moves in and makes resonance in our life, is he gives us supernatural abilities to accomplish God's call in our life so that we are able to obey him, so that we are able to do the thing that he's asking us to do. We call those spiritual gifts. That there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That the Holy Spirit has given abilities to each one that he might show himself, that he might manifest himself in us, through us. You see, being able to to serve, being able to preach, to teach the the ministry of helps, uh, being able to to witness the, the gift of evangelism, the gift of mercy, The gift of hospitality, there's like 21 different gifts listed throughout Scripture. And the Holy Spirit comes in and gives every believer one of those for the common good. So that he might make himself known to the world through that gift and that ability. I've had people come up, and and it's humbling, to to come up and, and, 
and say how, how much they really enjoyed the sermon or, or the teaching on Sunday night or the Sunday school class. And, and man, you just, Ted, you just do a great job. And, and it just it seems like it's so natural. Do you know this is the most unnatural thing for me to do? Now, I've done it for a long time. And I told someone, I think the last time I preached, they were asking me about well, what kind of training have you had. And, and I said, you know what? It's the Holy Spirit. I could have gone through all kinds of training. But it's the Holy Spirit that makes all the difference. Because when I was in college, when I was at, at, at uh, Indiana Purdue Fort Wayne, a, an extension of, of IU, I forget the Purdue part. It's kind of like, you know, Penn State, Pitt, forget one, remember the other. Huge rivalry. And, and when I was at, at IU Purdue, I took speech class because you had to. I got C's. I hated it. Nervous. Couldn't eat the morning of. I was bad at it. And then God got a hold of my life. Now, I was a Christian at the time, but I wasn't fully surrendered. And when I fully surrendered and I said, God, whatever you want me to do. He said, I want you to be a pastor. I want you to preach. I want you to teach. I said, anything else? Because I hate, hated standing up in front of people. Who am I that they would listen to me? I understand Moses. I get it. All of his excuses that he came up with, why he couldn't do it. And I, had, I enrolled at Bible college. And I took my first preaching class. And I dreaded it. I got straight A's in preaching. It's not me. It was the Holy Spirit because I'm still that kid that, that got C's in public speaking. That's me. But the spiritual gift that God gave me and his ability to, to work through me, to manifest himself through my life, he's done that for every believer in one form or another with one spiritual gift or another. And let me tell you that the Holy Spirit is essential to the Christian life. He makes all the difference. You don't want me, just me, standing up here. You don't want me, just me, bringing a, a lesson in Sunday school or on Sunday night. You wouldn't be back. But if the Holy Spirit can manifest himself through us, through me, through you, in some supernatural way. It's for the common good. Knowing him makes all the difference. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit wants to fill us. Can you imagine that? God wants to come in and not just be next to me, but be in me, completely in me. That we are commanded. It is a command to be filled by the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? Well, it means he says here that he's going to live with you. He's going to remain. He's going to abide in, in reference to a place. He's going to live with you. And he will be in you. That God, the creator, the almighty, the, the God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is going to come and live in you. He is going to, to inhabit your body. He wants to inhabit your mind. He wants to inhabit your, your thoughts, your actions. He wants to control your life. A.B. Simpson 
says the Holy Ghost was to become corporately united and identified with the life of the believer so that he would bring us into direct personal union and act, not upon us, but in us and through us, becoming part of our very life, controlling every faculty, volition, and power from the inmost depths of our being. This is the difference between the two classes of Christians we find today, those who have God with them and those who have him in them. And the Holy Spirit makes all the difference. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that actual best translation is to be being filled. That while it is a one-time asking to be filled, it's also a daily asking to continually be filled. That we are continually to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That there should be a point in our life like conversion when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That we, we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. That it's a total surrender where we sell out. Ideally, it happens all at the same time. Experience says it doesn't. That as we gain knowledge and understanding, we realize that there is more and more of us that we need to give up. That when we acknowledge that Jesus is not only the Savior of our life, but the Spirit is the Lord of our life. That we come under the control of the Spirit, that like a drunk is under the control of the alcohol. You know, you've said, well, that's the alcohol talking. Sometimes it's a completely different personality. God's going to change you. God wants to come in and control. We need to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, it may not be possible to explain it. And it certainly is impossible to make spiritual mysteries plain to any that, that have not experienced them. It's difficult to explain how the influence and image and personality of a friend becomes a, a part of our very being until we think as he thinks and act under his influence. A.B. Simpson understood that it was impossible to explain that until you've experienced it. That we may know that the Holy Spirit indwells believers, but experience it makes all the difference. That Jesus commanded us to be being filled, not once but at all times, under the influence. Being filled doesn't mean we get more of the Holy Spirit. Understand that. We're not to be asking for more of the Holy Spirit. Being filled means that the Holy Spirit finally has all of you. Because there are times that we hold back parts of ourselves and that we're not filled. He will fill everything we give him. We just don't always give him everything. And anything he doesn't have, he won't fill. He won't control. He won't influence. You're on your own. What does it take? To be filled with the Holy Spirit. Understanding that the Holy Spirit has been sent by God. We have to understand that he's real. That he is a divine person. We have to know him intimately. We need to confess our sins and receive God's cleansing. That too is a continual ongoing thing. Not a one-time deal. But when you sin, confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 it's a continual daily need. So is being filled. We have to confess our sin. We have to, to, to ask God to cleanse us so that there is areas that the Holy Spirit can fill. And then we need to submit to God's way of life for my life. God's will for you is not God's will for someone else. It's you. 
It's personal. Your spiritual gift, what he's calling you to do, how he wants to use you day in and day out is different than how he wants to use me day in and day out. How he's going to work through me because if you and I are the same, one of us isn't needed. So we're all different. We all have different calls. The Holy Spirit's going to use us differently. What he asks you to go through and endure is not what he's going to ask someone else to endure and go through. What he blesses you with is not necessarily what he's going to bless others with. What he asks you to do with your stuff is not necessarily what he's going to ask other people to do with their stuff. That's why we have to be intimately, personally involved with the Holy Spirit so that I hear what he wants me to do and then to do it. What he asks you to do for him each day may be different in detail to what he asks of others. Being filled with the Spirit means living with all of that, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Keeping in step with the Spirit describes the normal Christian life. We think Spirit-filled is something that, you know, the the ultra-spiritual. No, that's normal. That's normal to be Spirit-filled. To be a Spirit-filled Christian, to live under the direction and the control and the influence of the Holy Spirit is normal Christian behavior. Anything else is abnormal or less than normal. This morning, I want to do something. I didn't know if I was going to do it or not. I put it in my notes just to see what would happen. But I sense God's wanting me to do this. Many of us here today, maybe you've heard this for the first time. And you said, you know what? I thought being a Christian was all about having my sins forgiven and then giving it my best shot through life and and try to change and try to grow and, and try to live differently, try to live better. I didn't realize that God actually wants to come in and fill me. That, that this Holy Spirit wants to come and, and, and control me. That, that I need a, a total surrender. If you're here this morning and you want filled with the Holy Spirit, you want to confess again, but you want to totally surrender. You're saying, this is it. All of me. My work, my family, my finances, my relationships, every part of me under your influence. I want you to stand right where you are. If you want filled this morning, it's a command. We're commanded to be filled and, and simply all, all we have to do is ask. If we come with a, with a clear heart, if we, if we come with, with, a, with a truth, in our heart, with a sincerity in our heart, and we say, Lord, fill me, he will do that. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning, everyone, almost all over this place is standing because they want a fresh infusion of your spirit. They, they want to know you more intimately. They want you to control. Father, I pray right now that you would just fill them with your Holy Spirit. Father, their entire being from head to toe. Gift them. Father, change their mind. Transform them. That we would be different. Father, nothing magical. 
just your spirit living through us. In Jesus' name, fill them now. Amen. Please be seated. Now, how different the world would be if Christians truly lived as spirit-filled Christians, not part-time followers of God, not stumbling through life, sometimes getting it right, sometimes not, but transformed, changed, little Christs, that's what Christian means, seeking God's will in all things, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, fulfilling that will in the daily routine. That, that living for God in the daily details, where I go, what I do, who I spend time with, what I say when I'm there, spirit-filled. My relationships transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. My work transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. My outlook on life transformed by the truth and power of the Holy Spirit. My finances transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. My serving other human beings transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Knowing Him makes all the difference. Combine all these transformed, spirit-filled believers into one local church and our relationship with this city is transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that for most churches, most, the Holy Spirit wouldn't have to show up and no one would notice because it would just be business as usual. We would all gather, we would say hello, we would greet one another, we would sing some songs, we would hear a sermon, and we would leave. Because it's the Holy Spirit that makes the difference. Our worship experience is transformed by the Holy Spirit, that when Spirit-filled believers come and worship in the Spirit and in truth, there are incredible things that happen. People's lives are changed just by watching it. Because there's something there. There's a power there that I don't understand that the world is unable to understand. But they see it. That our vision of the future is transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That our church finances are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to beat on this, but it's true. If we truly gave the way the Holy Spirit would instruct us to give, we would never have a financial issue, ever. That we would give to organizations the way that, 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 that we could take care of the poor, there would never be a plea. If we were just in tune and we understood and we listened to the Holy Spirit and we obeyed Him, if we just went with what, what, what the Holy Spirit is telling us, Those things would just be taken care of because it's how the Holy Spirit works. Our churches serving those in need, the widows, the orphans, the poor among us, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do a great job. I, 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 am, I never cease to, to be amazed that when we put a plea out for toys or food or even financial need, whatever it is, this church rallies around it. 
And we will be known as a people of real joy. A spirit-filled congregation is known as people of real joy. We won't be known for anything else. But that's people who enjoy life. Those are people who have joy. Those are people I want to be around. Life is different when I'm with them. I don't know what it is about them. I don't understand it because they don't have the ability to understand it. But when the Holy Spirit lives through you, joy is a direct result. When was the last time any church was described as a people full of joy? Other than at Christmas time. We're all happy at Christmas because we're going to get good stuff. But when in March, in February, when it's cold and nasty and dreary and we haven't seen the sun in weeks. When has that life ever been described as a life of joy? We'll be known as a useful people. If people need help, they go to the church, not just a handout, but I mean practical, relevant life help. Help on how to live life. Because you people live life different than I live life. And you seem to have joy in the midst of suffering and struggle, and, and I, I, I don't get how you do it. We'll be known as a people of influence. That the church will be able to change the culture we live in. And knowing him will make all the difference. Knowing him will make all the difference, that we've not scratched the surface of what God wants to do, of what God is calling us to do, and what God is empowering us to do through the Holy Spirit. We haven't even begun yet. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Lives will be changed, transformed from the inside out. A.W. Tozer said there is no reason why we could not be a people so filled with the Spirit, so joyfully singing His praises and living so clean in our business and home and school that the people and other churches would know it and recognize it. What do you want to be known as? Church with great worship? A church with great preaching? A church with a great children's ministry? I want to know you known as a people filled with the Holy Spirit. People who transformed lives, who, who lived such joyful lives that, that the world is baffled by it. Holy Spirit makes all the difference. Let's pray. Father, this morning.